0: A Superman action figure in a toy coffin, a blue shirt and red jacket, a first flight in the sun above the Arctic tundra. These are some of the moments that define my Superman fandom. Together on this podcast, we journey across time and media to examine, discover, and reconsider the creative visions that have shaped the Man of Steel. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite A Superman Fan Journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the Brian Azzarello, Jim Lee storyline, Superman for Tomorrow, is real-life pastor, Craig Higgins. Welcome, sir.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Anthony. It's great to be here. I appreciate the invitation.
0: My pleasure. You and I met through uh, our old comic shop in Scarsdale, New York, Alternate Realities. You were a customer there. I worked there for for many years. And we've oh, kept in much touch. Much missed. Much missed, yes. The late, great alternate realities. Uh, but you and I have kept in touch over Facebook. You were on uh, my other podcast, My Comic Shop History, a few years ago. And, you know, when I started mapping out this episode and sort of thinking about exploring um, these these religious parallels between... Uh, Superman, and certain biblical figures, specifically Moses and Jesus. Um, I, you were the first person I thought of, and then, uh, you know, hand in hand with that, I was thinking about revisiting this For Tomorrow storyline, uh, because it really taps into a lot of those ideas, and I thought it would pair really nicely with these, with these larger questions, and so you were a natural fit for this episode.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad you thought of me, and uh, I had not read For Tomorrow when this originally came out over 15 years ago, uh, now I wasn't reading a lot of DC titles at the time, though that was predominantly what I read as a as a kid growing up, and uh, so it gave me an excuse to uh, to buy the deluxe graphic novel and uh, and actually read it and parts of it reread over and over. Um, so it's a real treat for me.
0: Yeah, and um, if you don't mind, just explaining a little bit about your background, what is your denomination, and and you know where where do you preach?
1: Um, I'm a Presbyterian minister, um, and, uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church, which is in Westchester County, New York. Um, I'm actually the founding pastor. This was, uh, what's called a new church development. Um, you know, rather than, um, existing churches, uh, when there's areas, when parts of the population are growing rather than, uh, building, you know, bigger churches, uh, part of the job is to, uh, establish new congregations. And so my wife and I moved here now 27 years ago uh, to be the founding pastor of this new work. And we've just stayed here. I uh, We both actually grew up in North Georgia, but had gone to grad school in Philadelphia. And we were back in Georgia. I worked as a Presbyterian campus minister for a few years down there, but you couldn't get a good cannoli. And after living in Philadelphia, we knew we had to come uh, we had to be back in the
0: Northeast. Well, we're, we're glad to have you here. I, um, you know, I'll, I'll share as much as you know. The the typical advice, right, is don't talk about uh, religion or politics, um, you know, at the dinner table, <laughs> and perhaps that applies uh, to podcasts as well. Uh, let me just share. Um, I, I'll get get personal for a moment here. So, I was God. raised Catholic. It was probably not a surprise for someone named Anthony Desiato, my an Italian heritage. Yeah. Uh, so I was raised Catholic. I was in Catholic school from pre-K through college. Um, but I will be honest; it's not it's not really a part of my life now. I don't actively practice it. That being said, um, there's definitely a lot. Especially when we talk about the, um, the you know, the, the parables and the lessons, there's there there's a lot that I that I do find to be of value, even though I wouldn't say that I actively practice. And I I lay that all out to say that I don't really have, I don't have an agenda um, with this episode. I really just think that there are these, uh, you, you know, these these questions and ideas about Superman and the ways in which he, he shares these parallels with certain figures in the Bible. And again, this is not a new or groundbreaking observation. You can find plenty of articles out there on that. But I thought it would be cool yeah. to explore on the show. And so, you know, I am coming from this, I suppose, more from, you know, an academic standpoint uh, more than anything mm-hmm. else. And it's not necessarily, uh, you know, an agenda that I'm looking to put forth. So I just wanted to share that and put that out there uh, as, as we dive in
1: well I think that's an important thing to say and I would say too to the listeners in case anybody is thinking I need to turn this off right now because there's some crazy pastor on here I'm not on this for an agenda either uh, one of the things I um, always have enjoyed about certain extracurricular activities and and going to alternate realities was certainly one of them is uh, you know sometimes clergy you can end up in a little bit of a uh, you know, you end up sort of in a in a sound chamber where you're you're mostly talking to people who already agree with what you're trying to say, and uh, I, I I hate that, frankly. I um, uh, not long ago, someone uh, asked me what I did, and I said, "Oh, well, I actually am a Presbyterian minister," and they said, "Oh, I'm really surprised that you're a pastor." And then they thought they had offended me, and I said, "Well, thank you. No, I, I take that as a compliment that you didn't peg that right off." <laughs> so uh i'm happy with that
0: good no that that's great so all right so we're so we're on the same page and and you know hopefully our audience is um as well so you know i was getting at this a little bit you know in terms of what inspired this episode um you know i read superman for tomorrow uh when it first came out in 2004 2005 Uh, again written by brian azzarello drawn by jim lee and scott williams and uh, this was, you know, on the heels of Batman Hush, which Jim Lee had mm-hmm. drawn. That was written by Jeff Loeb, and you know that was, you know, the, the, this massive story that really encapsulated the entire Batman mythology mm-hmm. and introduced you to the supporting cast and the Rogues Gallery. And um, you know, I think there there was a lot of expectation, certainly on my part as a fan, when I knew that Jim Lee was going to be drawing Superman for a year, just as he had drawn Batman, and you know, to be honest, the, I guess the story, it was obviously a very, very different story than Hush was. And at the time, it definitely didn't, I guess, meet the expectation that I had. And so I always sort of, um, you know, just kind of brushed it aside. And I and I really didn't go back to it until now. Um, but one of the things that got me thinking about it again was uh, Henry Cavill, wh- whose depiction of Superman in the films I'm a big fan of, um, he cited it as his favorite Superman comic book story. And I thought, well, if the guy who plays Superman and who plays him very well, in my opinion, finds something of value in the story, maybe it would be worth going back to. And then, like I said, hand in hand, I was really thinking about, you know, doing an episode that explored, um, you know, again, the ties between Superman and religion. And it just felt like this would be, you know, this would be a perfect uh, way to sort of combine that. And that was how we got here. And now you read Superman yeah. for Tomorrow. And just, and um, I'll say this, and we, that we will. There will be spoilers uh, you know, as, as we go through this. I mean, the story's many years old at this point, so hopefully no one's, no one's uh, offended by some spoilers. But uh, for anyone who just needs a, a quick refresher, uh, so this was, again, a 12-part storyline by Azzarello and Lee in uh, 2004, 2005. And the basic premise is that one year ago, a million people uh, on Earth mysteriously vanished, including Lois Lane. Um, and so when we pick up with Superman in this story, he's seeking the counsel of a priest, Father Daniel, And, um, you know, we really, you know, meet a Superman at a a different point in his journey. This is a Superman, you know, in in grief and really sort of struggling with what his role is going to be moving forward. And we see him in some different situations than we normally would. He inserts himself in an international conflict, for example. um, And, you know, that sort of raises some questions about what his role should be. So, you know, that's sort of the basic setup to it. Um, And so now you read this for the first time for this episode, right?
1: Right, yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know how I missed this one, except that I wasn't reading a lot of BC titles. Uh, back at the time, um, I didn't read Hush when it first came out either, but uh, discovered it, oh, probably when it was three or four years old. And uh, love one of, one of my favorite stories, and I love Jim Lee's art in, uh, in Hush. So when you mentioned For Tomorrow and I go, and, and I look at it, and it's it's art by Jim Lee, that was actually the first thing that piqued my curiosity, is not reading it and Superman's having conversations with a priest, uh, is how on earth is Jim Lee going to draw Superman? And uh, I must say, I, I mean, I think that's wildly successful. Um, I, I do, I, I can see, I did not know that about Henry Cavill, but I do you you can certainly see the influence um, now in reflecting upon it. Um, I, I like the fact that for for tomorrow is a storyline that points out that it's really hard to be Superman. Uh, as a kid growing up reading comics in the you know from the mid '60s into the '70s. You know, it seems sometimes like Superman. Superman doesn't have any problems. You know, that was the Marvel characters had problems. Superman didn't have problems. Um, but that's one of the things that Man of Steel captures extremely well. Especially the, I, I personally think the first half to two thirds of that movie is my favorite depiction of of Superman uh, on film. I, um, well. I was very critical of the ending of the movie at the time. I will say now, having gone back and watched, um, a- actually watching the, uh, the 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 Snyder cut, as they're calling it, of Justice League, frankly helped me understand more what Zack Snyder was shooting for in uh, Man of Steel and in Batman versus Superman. But. That might be a topic for another time, but uh, and, and, and one that you've discussed to death, probably on this podcast. But
0: <laughs> Well, hold that thought. I'm just going to pause for one quick second yeah. here. It's so funny because Snyder's take on the character comes up in almost every episode that I do, <laughs> but in my defense... <laughs> it's usually the guest who brings it up, um, so that's the thing that's so interesting to me, you know regardless of where you know someone falls uh, you know in, in terms of their opinion on Snyder's take on Superman and the other d c characters, It definitely provides a lot of fodder for conversation, and they're, they're, you know it's interesting because you know Clark does have that heart to heart with a priest um, in mm-hmm. the movie before he reveals himself to the world and I, I do want to talk about that. And Snyder, like other creators, definitely leans into that Christ imagery. I mean, there's the moment in the movie oh, yes. where Clark is on the ship with Jor-El, and then he sort of <laughs> floats out, and we see him do the Christ pose. There's mm-hmm. a, And I, I want to circle back to that, because I want to get your opinion on all of this. But um, when you brought up Snyder... Uh, when you brought up Man of Steel, and then you brought up the Snyder Cut of Justice League, you reminded me of something, and I've, I've actually believe it or not, for as much as I've talked about the Snyder Cut on these podcasts, <laughs> I've not talked about this yet. So um, fans caught this and uh, they they posted about it on social media. This complete, I did not make any connection here, but but fans pointed this out that Superman dies in Batman v Superman. I, I believe this is the the ultimate edition, the longer cut. I think, but mm-hmm. Super Clark, uh, as as I like to consider him, he's Clark in these movies. I feel like that's the way he's really presented here. Clark dies at the two hour thirty eight minute fifty seven mark in Batman v Superman, and is resurrected at the exact same time stamp in the Snyder oh. cut of Justice League. There was so there was clearly a lot of thought that went into that, right. and um this next bit, um, it seems a bit tenuous here, but, uh, the resurrection of Lazarus in the Bible is John, uh, 1138. So that 38 number comes up here uh-huh. a couple of times, but I thought that was really interesting <laughs> that he dies and returns at exactly the same timestamp.
1: That, and that's, from everything I've, uh, read of Zack Snyder, that's not an accident. That's, that's got to be intentional right how how yeah. much of a coincidence could that be
0: <laughs> and that's the thing it's like yeah. regardless of where you fall there's a lot of thought <laughs> you know that that clearly went that's right you know that um, that clearly went into that um so you know before we really dive into for tomorrow I, I guess I because I've really I've been looking forward to talking to you about that story but I've really been looking forward to picking your brain about these larger Questions, you know, when we talk about these parallels between Superman and you know figures from the Bible, again, Moses and and Jesus are the two that you hear about the most, understandably. Mm-hmm. And I would like to start with Moses. I mean, my Old Testament is not great, but it seems like, especially given the fact that Superman was created by you know two young Jewish guys, if they were thinking about anyone from the Bible, it very likely was Moses.
1: Oh, I would think so. Um, I mean. Actually, J- Jewish Americans have created so many of our important comic book characters, but I think that's clearly got to be the case. Um, there's particular parallels, of course, with uh, um, Moses' parents putting him, you know, in the basket in the Nile uh, to be discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. Um, the Im- it's just hard to miss that imagery of. Uh, of jor and lara putting uh, little baby Cal el into something that looks an awful lot like a basket uh and shooting him off to earth um and and i know there's been multiple depictions of what that rocket ship looked like it looked like a very simplistic rocket when i was a child uh, to the more star-shaped things you've seen in some of the modern incarnations but I think that very much in itself is um, is a Moses in Moses imagery, and then Moses growing up, growing up among the Egyptians, learning the ways of the Egyptians, uh, and then sort of only as he comes to maturity does he realize that these are not truly his people, uh, and that he he needs to serve you know a, a higher purpose and of setting people free. Yeah, I think those parallels are I, 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 they're hard to miss. Now. Some, some famous writers, and particularly famous writers in the Christian tradition, uh, would argue that, um, well, the most famous example would be J.R.R. Tolkien, best known for Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and those things. Uh, Tolkien wrote a famous essay called On Fairy Stories. And uh, in that piece, he talks about how... Um, And, of course, he was a Catholic Christian, very conservative Catholic Christian, as a matter of fact, Tolkien was. Um, He talks about how, from his perspective as a Christian, the story of the creation of the world and the story of uh, the world no longer being the way God created it to be and the need for a redeemer. He says he sees that as sort of the true story of the world, and therefore all great stories are going to echo many of those themes and um and don't get me wrong sometimes christians particularly i'm sure in other religious traditions it happens but i think christians are, are are sometimes a little overly eager to look for christ figures everywhere and that can get very annoying and i'm sure gets very annoying to authors uh it was annoying to tolkien he um, he stressed that no he didn't see frodo as a christ figure any more than he saw sam as samwise as a Christ figure and others but still, that idea of the universe, God, um, what Joss Whedon called the powers that be, uh, having a benevolent concern for this world with all of its fallenness and, and all of its pain, so that there are signs and uh, actions that, that bring redemption, that bring rescue to the world yeah, you just, you can't miss them. And we love these stories. You know, how can you not love a story, uh, like that? So I, as I was reading For Tomorrow, and frankly, as I've read comic books since the mid-60s, um, yeah, I think, I think I pick up, I I think I see a lot of those themes, and I enjoy them. And they don't have to be overtly religious, um, matter of fact, sometimes Christian writers try to make them too overtly religious, and, and then you just have bad fiction.
0: <laughs> right. Well, so yeah. that's an interesting point, and, and you know, I was following what you were saying, and, and yeah, I mean, I guess there is, I mean, it makes sense that there would be this, you know, inclination, conscious or otherwise, on the part of an audience to kind of look for that. I mean, this idea of, like, someone looking out for us. You know, and you're not alone. And you know, you kind of you look for it in your life, and you it makes Mm -hmm. sense that you would look for it in your stories. What's interesting, though, is that you know, there's one thing when we're talking about people, sort of, you know, trying trying to find that meaning, whether or not it's intended. But then, especially when we're talking about Superman, and especially when we're talking about the past few decades, you don't have to look hard.
1: (laughs) Oh no, no, it's there, and I I think it's intended. Um, Yeah, I don't think it's an accident that in, and it's it's not just that one illustration. I think, again, to go back to the most recent DC movies, um, when, you know, we see uh, in Batman v. Superman, where Superman takes this blast and is, you know, shriveled and dying. And of course, this comes largely out of the um, Frank Miller uh, depiction of him in, uh, you know, in the, in the Dark Knight stuff. But, uh, but again, you know, f- f- flying up, Uh, to be exposed to the sun and stretching his arms out in this. uh, Very, very much reminiscent of uh, what's often called, you know, often in churches you will see not only a crucifix, but you'll see what's called a Christus Rex of uh, the risen Jesus extending his arms, still in that same cruciform, you know, cross-like depiction, but it's more of a resurrection imagery. And I think you see that in... um, in um, in the Snyder films, as well.
0: Yeah, I made a little uh, list in my head. I I, and I didn't I didn't have to look it up. I would just like ran through. I was like, okay, like what are all of the the instances of of Clark or Superman doing the Christ pose in, in the especially in the TV and movie adaptations. And you boy, yeah, you see it a lot. I, you, know, you know my favorite depiction is Smallville. And at the end of season nine, he's fighting Zod. Oh yeah. And he falls off the building. In, in the Christ pose, he's he's plunged the blue kryptonite dagger into himself in order to defeat Zod, long story short, and he's okay. falling back off the building in the pose. Again, obviously, Snyder used that pose you know, numerous times, the ones we just talked about, and then in the Snyder cut of Justice League, after he's resurrected and he flies up above the earth to get that right. recharge and, you know. And, and oh, yes, that right, right. Uh, Superman Returns, Brian Singer, you know, used that pose as well. So you right. definitely, you, you see a lot of it. I'm sure there are other examples, but those were just the ones that, without even thinking, <laughs> they just, you know, instantly yeah. instantly came to mind. I, I, I guess, I, I, I mean, what is your overall feeling about something like that, especially as, as a man of faith and as a pastor? Is it something where you're like, eh, like, I get why they're doing that, and I get why it appeals to people? Or is there any sort of sense of like, hey, this is not really appropriate or sacrilegious i mean where do you sort of fall
1: on that oh i i not in the slightest do i see it as inappropriate or sacrilegious and uh now maybe that's because i'm with i'm with tolkien i you know i i from from my personal faith perspective um i do believe that this story is the true story of the world and therefore to see the story of God's redeeming the world echoed in various ways in other stories, I don't find surprising or shocking, and I'm, I'm happy for other people to see that. Um, I do think that, um, and, and I have not, uh, you know, I, I need to read Glenn Weldon's biography of Superman. I, I've read his book on Batman. I haven't read his book on Superman yet, and he may go into this uh Glenn Weldon, I will say, is one of my favorite uh, critics when it comes to, to um, superhero genre work. I, I, I'm, I'm a rare listener to uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour, the podcast that he's on. But the, uh, I, I'm sure that that Moses imagery, though, had to be uh, central for Siegel and Schuster, just because um, particularly we're talking about the, you know, being a Jew in 1930s America. Was a very, very difficult and even dangerous thing, and uh, the idea that just as we needed, just as the people of Israel needed this savior in Moses, uh, that that's what they needed, and so the whole idea of I think the parallel there between Moses, Moses in his basket in the bulrushes, and um, and little baby Callel in his rocket headed to Kansas, uh, I think that parallel is very clear. And, uh, you know, face it, we live in an era where um, anti-Semitism is on the uptick in America significantly. Uh, It's probably not a bad idea for a few more people to be aware of that imagery. Um, These are, again, not the most dangerous times in American history for our Jewish neighbors, but um, it's not moving in the right direction right now. And I think it's a good thing for people to be aware of that of the heritage of the creators of superman and how they almost certainly intended uh, that imagery
0: now that's that's a great point and and i'll say you know and and my audience is aware of this i recently spent uh, an episode in the golden age of superman comics and other media adaptations and it really was fascinating to read those earliest stories and i definitely came away you know, with a deeper appreciation for Siegel and Schuster and their background and what they put into the character, um, I will say, you know, for myself, definitely the the, the Christ parallels were always uh, more at the forefront in my mind due to my own background. Mm-hmm. And again, of course, all of these depictions where you know the creators really leaned into it. I'll, I'll say this though: my thesis has been, and again, I don't think this is—I'm not really breaking new ground here—but my feeling has always been that. Um, Richard Donner's Superman the movie in 1978 cemented uh, the the Christ parallel. And let me also say, this is mm-hmm. actually the first episode um, that I'm recording since the passing of, of Richard Donner. So, you know, uh, you know, we extend our condolences, you know, to his family, and you know, very sorry to hear about his passing. And you know, we're going to do an episode on Superman the movie down the line. Um, and and I'm looking forward to getting to that. I mean, certainly, you know, the, its contribution to the Superman mythology was. Was was vast, um, so we'll, we'll definitely be talking about that. But <clears throat> I've always looked at the, the way they told that origin story in Superman the movie. It is beat for beat
1: mm-hmm.
0: the Christ story. It's like we see Oh, the,
1: absolutely right. It's like yeah. in
0: you know in the Bible right. We have the we have the birth of Jesus here. We have the where well, we have the Immaculate Conception and the birth of Jesus here. We have the departure from Krypton and the arrival on Earth. We visit with both Jesus and Clark once during their adolescence. Mm-hmm then they're gone mm-hmm. for a long right. time, and then they enter the world as adults and begin their mission. And again, both sent to Earth, you know, by their fathers to save the Earth, which, again, is a shift, because in the, in the and to your point, going back to, you know, with, with the Moses in the Golden Age, it's like, it was really just to save him. Here, yes, that's obviously a right. major piece of it, but through, you know, the instruction that he receives from JorEl in and the fortress, like, there is also this idea of, like, you are going to save them.
1: Right. Absolutely. And that, uh, And again, you know, you know the, you know the comics better than I do. But it it seemed to me, and I have not seen Superman the movie in twenty years. And uh, echoing your words about uh, to to Donner's friends and family, I mean, what a what a brilliant director. Um, I was actually the other day just making. I was in the car making a mental list. Of all the Donner movies, I need to go back and rewatch. And uh, Superman's at the top of the list. Uh, I haven't seen the first Lethal Weapon movie. I think since it was brand new, I need to go back and watch that one. But uh, but yes, that at what point in the comics continuities was the emphasis that um, that that superman's kryptonian parents were not just trying to save him but were sending him to save the people of the earth it, it to me it always seemed that that was really a turning point with donner's film in 77. I, I don't remember now in 77 i was a uh, when that movie came out i was a junior in high school or a sophomore in high school and i i, I my comics i think i've told you this before um I have been a sporadic, fairly steady comic reader, Uh, but there were a few years in late high school and college when I really wasn't reading comic books, uh, to which my wife, now occasionally, we met in college, and she goes, I did not know about this comics thing when I married you. so that's usually what she says when she finds another box of comic books somewhere. Um, And I'm like, but it's okay. But anyway, I don't know where that where that motif, that Superman is being sent by his father, in this case, to be the savior of the world. I mean, yeah, that's pretty hard to miss in terms of sort of a Christological motif.
0: You know, and if anyone listening to this or watching this has an answer, please share it. Um, As I always say, we're on this journey together here. I recently, on this podcast, I went through basically all of the various retellings of the origin story. Pre-crisis and post-crisis, and and especially when we're talking pre-crisis, even the to- around this time of, of Superman the movie, <laughs> I mean, it was really, you know, an escape mission. I mean, it was really like just getting this getting this baby off the planet. There really wasn't, unless I've, I'm forgetting or if I missed something. And again, if I did, you know, please someone let me know. But that really was not the driving theme of of that i mean it was really just that you know the what you saw over and over and over in all of these stories was poor Jorel pleading with the science council <laughs> and being exactly. ignored and it was like this was the this was all he could do um so yeah this idea i mean i really feel like it it was the movie that like really you know that's really where we we see that not just first but primarily
1: well that's certainly my recollection and i can remember seeing superman the movie in high school and thinking, oh, wow, that is cool. And uh, and I think that the more elaborate depictions of all the Kryptonian artifacts and technology in the various incarnations of the Fortress of Solitude, I think a lot of that goes back to, uh, to that contribution, to Donner's contribution. Uh, so yes, if you find out that that had been introduced in comics before, before 1977 let me know too um, or I'll catch it on the podcast I have missed several of these and so um, I'll have to go back and re-listen to that one on the origin stories I haven't heard that podcast but, oh I, uh,
0: I hope you enjoy yeah. it that was one of the, those two yeah. episodes were our lengthiest episodes <laughs> by <before, Yeah>. far <laughs> but they were so much fun it was it was really fascinating but so um, you know that's that's basically part one of my thesis here that you know Superman the yep. movie really really cemented the, the 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 Christ parallel but then the other piece of the part two is um and and this is personal to me because it's where I got into comics but the death and more specifically I guess the return of Superman I think once you have mm-hmm. a death and resurrection and now I mean you know the comic book story of course was monumental and an, and an iconic part of the the comic book bibliography but now you Now this has been depicted on screen as well, and I feel like in the minds of the public at large, this idea that you know Superman dies and comes back at some point—I mean, that's now I think an indelible part of his story. And so I feel like that hand in hand with what we've been talking about, it's like you just you cannot get away from it now.
1: Yeah, I I think you're right, and I, I I kind of as an old comic purist, you know, you, you you hate to give that much credit to the films. I don't think that was ever as much a part of the story, though, before Snyder. No. I, I think now it is, uh, for whatever whatever that means, it's Superman canon. Uh, where, I mean, you know, I have a lot of friends who are not into comics. You know, I, I um, when the Black Panther movie came out a few years ago, I can't tell you how many people, and and yes, mostly white people, who said to me, did you, did you ever heard of Black Panther before his appearance You know, in, in the comics? And I'm like, I was reading Black Panther in the 60s. So yes, I, uh, I, uh, I don't think I had the original appearance of 66, but there used to be a, Marvel had a series that would reprint Fantastic Four stories. And I think that's the one I had in like 68, 69, which had the origin of uh, Black Panther, who is in a, it's in a fantastic four story where he makes his first appearance, as many of your listeners know. Um, so I, I, most of the folks that a lot of my friends who, who come to me with their comics questions, I have a, a friend of mine who's another Presbyterian pastor in central Pennsylvania. He's like, I always like to see comic book movies with Greg because I can go, what's going on? And I can, you know, fill him in a little bit. Um, I don't think most of them knew. About the stories of the death of Superman, which the the you know this was not the films were not a radical departure in some ways from some of those stories, and uh, the costuming when he came back was a little different. But I mean, you know, I don't think uh, that was part of the collective consciousness of of Superman. Everybody knows the origin story. Uh, everybody knows you know leap tall buildings in a single bound and all the stuff from the old fifties. Uh, shows and well in the cartoons before that but uh, now everyone knows the death and resurrection and of course that just makes this idea of superman as a christ figure more pronounced in the general consciousness which is frankly i think too what makes some of these stories that deal more with the uh, that deal more honestly with what what it would be like to be this this alien living on earth, what it would be like to have such incredible responsibilities. Uh, I mean, you can get into all sorts of interesting parallels in uh, in Christian theology about that, but it's just good storytelling to emphasize how difficult it would be. Um, I thought, um, it, For Tomorrow does a wonderful job, also picked up in the films more recently, of how how does superman not hear everything all the time um because you know while there are these parallels uh he's not a divine being he he, he's not he's not god as that would be understood in the great monotheistic religions uh he's not you know omniscient he doesn't just know everything intuitively which is how Judaism, Christianity, and Islam have have depicted, have have classically described one of the attributes of God. Just the difficulty of being um, this this person who bears such incredible responsibility. Uh, it really makes me look back at the very very light hearted Superman of my childhood. Um, And, and, you know, you sort of realize just how thin that storyline is. It's, you know, I don't think the 1966 Batman series ever dealt with uh, the traumatic origin of that character either. So, um, and so that's where I appreciate that these, um, that some of these more recent tellings, and For Tomorrow is a prime example of that. I mean, this, this graphic novel, this series of books is so well written. Um, people who don't read comics often don't realize the quality of the writing that goes into comics. And, and in some ways it's like writing poetry. You have a, uh, you have confined space. You can't just pontificate forever. Kind of like I'm doing now. Uh, you, you really have to say a few words in a short period of time a- in a short space. And, uh, this book I think does that brilliantly picking up, um, just the angst of being Superman, and frankly, it, on Father Daniels, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm often disappointed, of course, with how uh, clergy are depicted in media. Uh, it's either we're you know sinister or just kind of uh, in, in, you know infinitely lame. And uh, here is a depiction of a priest who is struggling with his faith, who has who has questions. Um, which in all honesty, we do. Um, uh, Just the whole interchange early on in For Tomorrow uh, where they keep making, and it it becomes a repeating joke throughout the book of, are you sure you can't read minds? And uh, you're a good listener. At one point, uh, Superman says to Father Daniel, you're not just a good listener, you're an active listener. Um, That's that's well-written. And it's uh, it's so it, it's good literature. It's not just pure escapist fiction. I'm not opposed to escapist fiction, um, but it's actually a well written story about the issues of being a human being in the world.
0: It is definitely a thoughtful story, and um, after a quick commercial break, we will finally dive more fully into For Tomorrow, but uh, this has been fascinating to me so far, and hopefully to our audience. Um, The last thing I want to say just before we jump to the commercial break, you know, I too, and, you know, my audience is familiar with this by now, you know, I too love the stories that really examine what it would be like to be... Clark Kent, Superman, especially mm-hmm. I mean just in the real world generally and especially in the modern world and I'll quote Smallville, I'll go back to that again. Yeah. You know, to be given the powers of a god yet live as a man is an impossible odyssey, and that's the journey that right. he's on. And so exactly. uh so when we get stories like what Snyder gave us in the movies and and like what Azarello did, I I was not I don't think I was as hot on the story as as you were though. I found a lot of it really interesting. Um, but I, I did appreciate that we were, especially this idea of, of a grieving Superman and what that would do to the character. Mm -hmm. I felt that was an honest depiction. Um, so let's, let's, um, we'll circle right back to that, um, when we come back. Uh, but first, um, just a, a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. If you enjoy this show, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. I also hope you'll consider joining my Patreon community. The support of my patrons enables me to produce this podcast and patrons get rewards too including exclusive episodes, advanced listens, and more. Sign up today and get instant access to the back catalog. Visit patreon.com slash Thank you to all of my patrons. I truly appreciate your support. The Hive Comics and Games is an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas. Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role-playing in a dungeon, The Hive is where to be. Come tap your mana and face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen on Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. And we're back, so thank you to our sponsors. I'm also happy to announce uh, for the first time on air uh, that Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate now of BCW Comic Supplies. So the next time you want to go place an order for bags, boards, boxes, I know there are shortages right now, but you can see what they have, and I know that they're you know, working to restock as quickly as they can. But the next time you go to place an order, use promo code FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, promo code FSP, uh, and you get 10% off your order and it helps support this podcast. So um, I hope you'll use promo code FSP the next time that you order uh, from BCW Supplies. Um, I also just wanna give a quick heads up about um, what we have coming up. So in one week, on the Patreon-exclusive companion show, Digging Deeper. Uh, We're going to be talking about the new The Suicide Squad movie. Uh, So make sure you tune in for that. It'll be a lot of fun as we talk about that new movie. And then in two weeks, I I could not be more excited for this. The whole first year of this podcast has been building towards this. An eight-part weekly, we're switching to weekly for September and October, an eight-part weekly event called Crisis Till Death, where we're going to be talking about the burn run, the post-burn run, uh, the lead up to the death of superman and of course the death and return of superman it's going to be an epic legendary run of episodes you don't want to miss this crisis till death it kicks off at the beginning of september an eight-part weekly event so that's all coming up uh so that's pastor pretty craig, impressive i'm very ex- yeah i'm very very <laughs> excited for all of this um so pastor yeah, craig so let's great. so let's dive. Uh, back into for tomorrow i'm glad you enjoyed it because again i know as we talked about you know you hadn't read this before and i know you read it specifically so we could talk about it and i appreciate it i'm glad you liked it i overall i found it interesting there were aspects that i thought um you know maybe could have been executed a little bit better i didn't quite love a lot of azarello's dialogue i found it to be a bit um It was philosophical and it was interesting. I know I've used the word interesting a lot, but but at the same time, I found it a little bit uh, ponderous and unnatural at times. Um, Again, it wasn't necessarily my taste and the story took a couple of directions that I felt. um, There were actually, there were a few aspects that I I wish had kind of unfolded earlier or we had spent more time on because I thought they really were fascinating. But overall, Uh, I'm glad that I revisited this. I don't know that it really occupies a a, a high spot in my list of Superman stories, but Mm -hmm. again, a great episode, a great, you know, a great story to at least have a discussion about.
1: I I would actually tend to agree with that. And I was, uh, I'm glad you said that because I was about to say it's your podcast, but let me ask you what you didn't like about the story. I actually tend to agree with you a little bit on the dialogue. Um, there were moments when it did not quite ring true. Um, the the conversations between Superman and Father Daniel were obviously some of my favorites. And yes, at times they were slightly wittier. I, I mean, but, you know, it's like... Um, if you watch anything that Joss Whedon did, if you watch anything that Aaron Sorkin did, if you watch, uh, I forget her name, but you know, if you watch Gilmore Girls, wouldn't we all like to be that witty and that articulate for one day of our lives? Um, and that's okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. I can go back and rewatch episodes of The West Wing and listen to my wife say, no one would ever say that in real life. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, that's why this is a well-written scripted show. Um, I did think some of the conversations with um, some of the some of the dialogue with Zod toward the end, some of the uh, dialogue with uh, the general, I, I, some of that did not. It fell a little flat with me. It didn't quite ring true. Although the very again, this is a major spoiler, but uh, the very idea that Superman would try to prevent what happened to Krypton happening to earth by essentially creating a world using Phantom Zone technology. That I thought was a, uh, I thought that was, that was a really interesting, again, yeah, don't use the word interesting so much, but it's a great storyline uh, because it is an insight into how Superman grieves. So we start off seeing his grief by talking to a priest, we see his grief in his intervening in global affairs beyond what he would normally do or would have any sort of authority to do, which, of course, is also sort of picked up, again, in Man of Steel and other ones, you know, who, who controls, does anyone have any authority over this guy? Uh, but then to just see the lengths of his r- really desperation, just how far he would go. Uh, but without losing his core sense of mission and his core sense of identity um, that conflict was the part of the story that i really resonated with
0: i I understand it you know i'll say too you know there's a point in the story where he you know he tracks down the device that is responsible for the disappearance of everyone and and he you know is going to use it on himself so that he could try to find lois and you know batman and wonder woman like they're all trying to stop him they're like this is suicide and you know he says like if there's a chance that she's out there i have to do this and you know in a lot of these episodes i talk about how you know you know being a new father has really changed the way i i look at these stories that's true here too but as a husband i mean it's the sort of thing like if there were a chance that i could get to my wife i would do it yep you know, exactly. So that that rang so true. What I was, you you hit on what I was, what I was alluding to earlier. This idea that he would create this entire world within the Phantom Zone that he could send humans to in case Earth ever met a similar fate as Krypton. That's an idea that I I wish. And again, I know it was a choice to structure the story the way that it was structured and to reveal that when it was revealed. I, under, I mean, I get that. It's just maybe a matter of, of preference. But I wish we had spent more time with him making that decision and going through that process because I do think that's... And that's an angle that I don't, I can't think of other stories off the top of my head that have really delved into that. And it makes... The thing that is great about it, it makes such perfect sense given where he came from. It's like you... It, at some point, it probably would be natural. It's like, well, what would I do if I were faced with something similar?
1: Yeah. 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 I, I would agree with that. I think it would have been, and again, you know, it's you, know, you hate to criticize um, people for what they didn't say that you would have right. liked them to said. But I do think it would be an interesting take on the story to see the lead-in to those actions and to those decisions a little more, because it's a bit of a reveal in the second half of the book. Um, but still still definitely worth reading so to those of you who like me haven't read the story uh yeah i recommend it
0: where where one thing that did lose me though was and i was surprised for what was overall a pretty grounded story for i mean for the most part you know aside from the fact that we have you know equus and we have the uh you know a million people vanishing but all that aside but the fact that superman used meditation on himself to make himself forget that he created this world and that he created robots to help uh, maintain this world. (laughs) And like I said, I've recently spent a lot of time in pre-crisis Superman and robots abound. And I just, (laughs) it's not my thing. Oh,
1: well, see, I I grew up, I, I, I grew up reading Superboy, right? And, you know, that was how high school Clark Kent maintained his secret identity was by having superboy robots fly around town so that people could see him and, and I know I have to say the meditation part and I mean I have taught I, I, I've taught on uh, contemplative prayer and Christian meditation and if you know a meditation technique that can cause you to forget something of that significance uh, you know get in touch with me because that's uh, that that I would like to know more about that and but again it's one of those and and i in the back of my mind that and the robots were i thought the throwbacks to the 1960s when when superman had you know super ventriloquism you know was one of the powers so i guess now it's super meditation that he can do that yeah those were the things that that fell flat and and they do they you know it's a plot device and but when a plot device you know glaringly has the red alert you know, Claxon's going off and saying plot device, plot device. Yeah, that that's a little tricky. And the fact uh, that the robots are his parents and a robot Clark Kent. Um, yeah, that one. I actually went back and had to reread that and go, wait, what? <laughs>
0: yeah that's that did feel contrived i mean that really just felt like well we want this moment of confusion for the audience and for superman when he arrives there and he sees clark kent well what would be the way to do that if he makes a clark kent robot that does not really it does not really track again i don't want to nitpick again i think there were (laughs) overall there were there were a lot of aspects of this that um you know again i did think were 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 valid choices and definitely different choices and again the fact that you know, Superman's main scene partner for most of this story is Father Daniel. Um, was really cool. And I, you know, I appreciate you sharing your take on on the way Father Daniel was depicted and how it was a refreshing change of pace for you given the way, you know, uh, members of the clergy are, are, are often shown. And it's, yeah, it's good to have some variety in terms of, you know, in terms of what you see. And, you know, when the, when Superman first arrives and he's floating down, you know, Father Daniel's instinct is to kneel. Yes. And Superman says, I don't think you want to do that.
1: That's actually, uh, that's, that's a recurring theme in Scripture when uh, angelic beings appear. You see it in the prophetic books in the Old Testament, and it's uh, repeated a couple of times in the book of Revelation at the end of the Christian Scriptures, the New Testament, uh, where St. John, the historically, St. John the Revelator is uh, the author of the final book. And traditionally, he's associated with St. John the Apostle. You know, scholars question how close that should be. But twice in the book of Revelation, angels appear uh, to St. John, and he falls down to worship them. And they go, you know, get up. I am a servant like you are. So I, uh, I suspect that, that 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 was immediately the image that sprang to mind. There, that um, that it, at the very least, Superman is seen here as an angelic being that any mere mortal would be tempted to worship. And of course, that and again, that reflects something that's found in um, in Christian, well, keeper in Hebrew and Christian scriptures.
0: And you know, that's the sort of thing. And there, there have been comic book stories where um, I think it was actually yeah superman for all seasons is one example uh another retelling of the origin story by jeff loeb and Mm -hmm. tim sale where there's a woman you know superman saves early on and then she views him as this angelic being and worships him and she really goes too far and it becomes an obsession um but Mm -hmm. you know going back to what we were saying about you know the snyder movies I do genuinely think that is a pretty realistic, and actually generous, I think it would be worse for Superman if he were real, but uh, I do think it overall is a realistic take on how people would react, and yes, you would have, and just as the movie shows you, and and in Batman v Superman, they really continue that thread where, Mm -hmm. you know, you see all these different reactions, all these talking heads on the TVs, like wondering if he's this government agent, Um, and others who do wonder, like, is he god or sent by god and i I mean and again i don't mean for this to sound like a silly question but i don't know as someone who you know you know preaches to the you know to the to the to your flock and i mean i don't know like how do you think people would react if a a being like that uh, you know uh, emerged in these times like what what what, i don't know what do you think
1: right i um i do think the snyder movies i agree with you i think they get that pretty well right uh, although somewhat generous I was recently a part of a discussion, um, just just with a group within our own congregation. Um, But where a question was raised, um, we I I lead a small group, uh, affectionately known as Monday Night Theology, where we uh, people uh, it's a play on Monday Night Football, and. we um i'm a giants fan so i always tell them that in the fall if the if the giants are on monday night football there will not be a meeting of monday night theology but um we um one of the questions that was raised and that's the idea in this group all questions are fair play was is similar which is um and and this came out of course right after um some of the uh, video footage of uh, ufos was um was declassified people were eagerly awaiting the report which has since come out which was somewhat underwhelming but people started asking how would people respond and how would it affect christian theology if intelligent life on other planets is definitely confirmed and uh my my answer is um that does not i don't think it poses uh, some sort of existential threat to the Christian faith. There's uh, there's a, um, there's a uh, astrophysicist named uh, Deborah Harzma who has written a piece on this. She's the executive director of an organization called BioLogos, which mostly focuses on the intersection of science and faith. BioLogos was actually founded by Francis Collins, who's now the director of the National Institutes of Health. And so before being the head of NIH, Tony Fauci's boss, during a pandemic. His previous stint in government service is, was the human, ge- he had he led the Human Genome Project. And in a brief time before that, he set up a think tank on science and faith. So he, he's done a lot of stuff. But Deb Harzma, who is a Harvard PhD astrophysicist and a practicing Christian, has written on that. So we're having that discussion. And I think actually someone raised, the, uh, the whole Snyder film series in that discussion on isn't this a good example? There were people who would be terrified. There would be people who were skeptical and not believing it. You know, just like we have vaccine skeptics, we would probably have uh, Kryptonian skeptics. Uh, but you would, I think, find kind of, you know, cultic sort of groups popping up. Um, you know, it, it would probably form new religious traditions uh, and yeah I, I think that's fairly accurate uh it would be and we may well uh know the truth about this sometime in the near future about intelligent life uh from other planets coming here but can you imagine how that would be how whatever all of the reactions would be just exponentially expanded if it turned out that the the alien visitor looked just like us, which is, of course, evolutionarily uh, a real long shot, but looked just like us, could blend into human society and yet was the most powerful being that, has, that we've ever experienced. Um, how people would respond with faith, how people would respond in terror, uh, how governments might respond. Uh, yeah, I, 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 it's a huge issue. Um, and the, again, it goes back to the, the comics of of my youth where Superman is just everyone sees as a hero, he's this wonderful guy and they don't raise that question. Wouldn't people be terrified? Wouldn't people be freaked out by this? And that's why more over the last 20 years we've seen more media that takes that seriously.
0: I know that's the funny thing, you know, like in Superman, the movie when you know that that famous classic scene where, uh, Lois interviews Superman and, you know, he says he's from Krypton and she's just, her only yeah. question is like, oh, how do you spell that? And it's like,
1: yes. you know, <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah.
0: she takes yeah. it real well. Uh, yeah, no, I do think these modern depictions, whether it's birthright in the comics or the Man of Steel movies, I, yeah. I do think that is is getting at more what it would be. And I think that makes it, I mean, that makes it vastly more fascinating, um, you know, because I, it then forces you to think like, yeah, how would, how would our world react to something like that? And I mean, right. for people of the jewish faith i mean they're still waiting for the arrival of the messiah and for christians i mean the idea is that christ will come again at the end right right so yeah. it's the sort of thing where you know i always think back to one of my favorite movies is it's a wonderful life i mean truly like one of my top top movies oh
1: uh, you are not alone
0: <laughs> yes that was <well, laughs> uh yeah. but you know the scene where uh, george and clarence are at the bar and you know Clarence reveals he's an angel or he says he's an angel and Nick the bartender is like what are you talking about and you know Clarence is like well don't these people believe like believe in angels and he's like well why are they so right. surprised when they see one so i always kind of have that in, in in my head and so it's like yeah for for people of the, of these various faiths who are waiting for someone to come it's like if someone like that mm. did show up and you know in man of steel for example he's not out there purporting to be a messiah this is just what people are projecting onto him but it's like i feel like exactly. that that would happen
1: so, oh, absolutely, man. it would happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I know it's a uh, fascinating stuff. Um, you know, so uh, there, there's a lot that that does come out in the conversations with Superman and Father Daniel. They raise, they raise um, a, a few things that I wanted to kind of, you know, run by you and, and, and get your take on. Um, Father Daniel, and I don't have the exact quote, but Father Daniel asks Superman about, I guess, sort of like his feeling about saving people and how. You know, sometimes people are you know truly just dealt a bad hand and they need to save. But mm-hmm. Father Daniel gets at this idea that like people sometimes make bad choices that then require them to be saved by Superman, um, and that's kind of an aspect that that I found really cool because. In the previous episode of this podcast, we talked about how far Superman should go with his powers. You know, should he disarm the mm-hmm. world of nuclear weapons like he did in Superman 4, The Quest for Peace? But, in, right. but we typically, and in that episode, and generally, I think we frame it as, you know, well, should he do these things because he can do these things? That's sort of the argument for it. But this added a new layer to it. It's not just that he can, but it's just that he's burdened by people's, you know, <laughs> mistakes. And it's like, for someone with that power, he could... <laughs> He would likely have that feeling of like, listen, I can fix this so that you don't have to go through this
1: Oh absolutely and it, it I mean it raises theological again religion and politics it raises <laughs> theological questions and it raises political questions um, what is the is it red sun the uh, the the book uh, the graphic novel where
0: He's raised Kal-El's in communist Ra- Russia. It yep.
1: comes in, yeah. Raised, he, he the the rocket lands in the Soviet Union, and uh, uh, that's a fascinating book because it raises the question of someone, someone this powerful who wasn't raised in this culture that talked about a balance of freedom and responsibility. Uh, of course, it would be extremely easy for Superman to be a dictator. Uh, thinking he thinking at least that he is completely a benevolent a benevolent dictator he's got to save us from ourselves, uh, and so that's where there are political ramifications which I did think that uh, Man of Steel uh, the Snyder film got and that many of the comic incarnations of Superman have have gotten pretty well. The theological questions that come up are. Well, well, there's really two. There's there's the age-old question of what's called theodicy, of the problem of evil. And, uh, you know, if if there is a good God who is all-powerful, why why is there evil in the world? And um, that's a question that's alluded to, if not directly addressed, kind of in the conversations between Superman and Father Daniel. Uh, And it gets into that whole question of free will and making bad choices and, you know, all of these sorts of things most, there have been countless attempts in the history of Christian theology to try to explain the problem of evil, and the the consensus in the Christian faith is that none of them really work, Uh, that that is one of those areas for which uh, no one can really articulate a crisp, clear, succinct answer to the problem of evil. But that gets into and again, I'm not. I don't want to. I'm not trying to do an agenda here to preach. But the whole idea at the heart, particularly in the Christian tradition, is this idea of grace, and that um, which works in two ways. One is acknowledging that we have all made bad choices. So the idea, even though frankly, I think Christians are guilty of this constantly, and I can critique my own uh, religious faith, you know. But really at the heart of the Christian tradition, dividing the world into good people and bad people is a fundamental theological error because there are none of us who have always done the right thing. We have all made bad choices. The idea of God helps those who help themselves from the Christian perspective is a heresy because what God does, and particularly what Christians believe God has done in Jesus Christ, is to help those who who precisely cannot help themselves. And that's why it's, a, it's an idea of redemption and salvation and rescue and all of that. Which is why, you know, the number one reason I hear from my friends who, who don't share the Christian faith or who, who grew up in it and have walked away and all of that is they're sick and tired of all the self-righteousness to which I tend to go, yeah, <laughs> you know, me too, because it's really a betrayal of the heart of the faith. So uh, that idea of Superman's responsibility to save us from our bad choices is a key way I think it's captured in this book. Again, that's one of those, that's one of those motifs where um, I'm going to read that and go, yes, that's another echo of the story of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, you know, famously said when, when he was accused of hanging out as the religious leaders of the day did, accused him of hanging out with prostitutes and sinners, you know, his response was the, the well don't need a doctor. You know, I came to uh, help the sick. And, uh, I think that's, again, that's an echo and, uh, Superman being though a, a mortal, being, um, I think it's fair that he struggles. He has to. He has to deal with that question. You know, to what extent am you know? Come on, you're Superman, right? To what extent am I responsible to rescue all these people for their stupidity? Uh, that's a that's a great question. And uh, but from the Christian tradition, is we're like, well, that stupidity is pretty universal, and we're thankful that that God loves us in spite of our best efforts otherwise. And uh, so, again, for me, I read it, and I hear this echo of the really Judeo-Christian teaching on grace and mercy. And, and they even bring up the, quest, the question of love. Uh, Father Daniel raises that question. You know, is it, isn't it love that causes you to do this?
0: Right, because, you know, Superman poses this question. He says, you know, how do I know that what I feel— is even what the same way that humans feel love. You know, am I right. feeling the same emotions? How would I know? And I I think it's that that actually launches them into this conversation about why he saves people and saving them from their own yes. bad choices and he's like because I can. And Father Daniel says, well, is that not the definition of love? But right. so there w- there was one thing that I felt was really I it did not ring true for me uh, it, it, at least the way I think of of the character of Superman. Father Daniel has cancer. And there's this, this running question of, he wonders if Superman can, can cure it. And at a certain point, he asks Superman, point blank, like, can you cure it? And Superman says, I don't know. I've never tried, and I wouldn't, yeah. because then people would expect miracles of me. What was your, what was your take on that? Because that did not sit right with me.
1: Well, I thought it, I, 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 I'm glad I hadn't thought of that when I was thinking of, well, when I was thinking of things I wanted to say about this, uh, about For Tomorrow, I didn't think of that one. And so I'm so glad you brought it up. Yeah, I think it's inconsistent with, I think the writing there is inconsistent. Um, That does not sound like the same character from the very earliest pages of the books and his conversations with Father Daniel. And uh, you, you have to think that if, if you if if Superman did exist, if that person, um, and I, I want to come back to that whole idea that, that you know it's there's a theme in here about he's Clark, but Bruce is Batman, which is one of the recurring themes, of course, in the Marvel and in the DC world. But I think it's one of the more profound ones in a lot of ways. But uh, if if Clark were actually here, would he be constantly using his super hearing? To listen to nine one one calls and to listen for screams, so that he's you know repair it. He he's serving as the trestle. You know that the, when a trestle's blown to save people from the train. If he were doing all of that, wouldn't he also be going? Is there a way that I can use my powers? Can I can I use? Comp-? Well, this used to happen in the old comics. Can he sort of combine his? X-ray and heat vision to right. do like micro cancer surgery. Of course, he would think about that because face it, more people are dying of cancer than people are dying of planes falling out of the sky, and uh, you know evil supervillains blowing up train trestles. Um, of course, he would. And uh, I have to say, as a writer, and and again, I'm not trying. I don't want to criticize. I don't. I don't want to criticize the book unnecessarily. I think it's an important question. There are certain contrivances to the superhero genre, okay? And I I think that's a good question to ask, but it wasn't answered with anything like a satisfactory way, I thought, in the book, just that I've never really tried. I just, that, yeah, that doesn't ring true to me. And I frankly think it would have been better writing to just leave out that exchange there's an old expression uh, that that um, I've heard pastors use about sermons that, you know, if you're trying to do a sermon that's, you know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever, Presbyterians tend to preach longer. You know, you grew up Catholic where a lot of times the sermons were seven to eight minutes. You know, I, 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 I've i been in a lot of uh, Catholic and um i'm part of a protestant catholic dialogue uh group that meets out in chicago regularly and we make jokes with each other about uh, about this but uh you know if you're trying to preach a 15-minute sermon you know that there are certain things you can't say because if you use that one sentence you're going to have to have at least 10 more minutes to address it you can't and i I've, I've heard uh preachers say don't let loose more snakes than you can kill you know in your sermon and i think there that yeah that's a snake that it was just left hanging.
0: Yeah, you know, and I and I, I mean, I'm with you. I, am you know, I'm not out to you know bash this. I mean, I wouldn't do a whole episode on it if, if I felt that way about it. Yeah. Um. And I and I do think that you know I think there are ways that Superman and I say Superman in the story, not Clark. Um. Or maybe he would right. prefer to be called Kal El as that comes up a couple of times yeah. here. Right. There, there are a few instances, few ways in which he's depicted darker, for lack of a better word, than we we mm-hmm. often would associate him, but I actually did not have a problem with that because, again, this is a character a year into grief over losing his wife. And so the way he comes across to me is like, no, that's... And I actually did appreciate that we got I mean, I know there have been other, you know, alternate reality stories where Lois is killed and he goes crazy, but I felt like this was a very grounded, very human depiction of what he would be going Mm -hmm. through. But that exchange about not trying to cure cancer, I that did feel very out of character for two reasons. One, the exact reason you said it just, I, I don't know, the way I think of the character and the way I think the character would be if he were actually here living in the world, it's like, yeah, if he could, of course. But the, the bigger issue I had was if he did, then people would expect miracles of him. Well, yes. what, what, what are all of these feats that he performs, if, if not miracles? Or what makes them a different, what makes them different than, than what this would be?
1: Right, yeah, I agree, and I think that that's why it's an inadequate answer, um, because you, I mean, you could you could do an entire storyline on uh, how have fundamental safety practices decreased in the city of Metropolis since Superman appeared and it was known that Metropolis was his home. Okay. Yeah. Are. Are people constantly walking out in traffic or something like this? Because they know, hey, Superman's around and he'll probably rescue me. Uh, so the miraculous feats that he's doing have got to have a real world impact. And so if he could cure diseases, I, I, you know, I think that was a great question for Father Daniel to ask. I, I would have personally been happier if, um, if Superman had acknowledged that as a limitation, no, that's something I can't do.
0: Yes. Even if he had said, I tried once, it didn't work.
1: Oh, exactly. okay,
0: that's fine. And then you're like, oh, what's that story? Maybe we'll get to hear it yeah. someday,
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, Exactly. And I'm happy keeping Superman as largely a hero whose powers are confined to the, to the more physical kind of realm. Yes. You know, I mean, um, I'm sure someone at Star Labs is working on a cancer cure. You know, we don't need Superman to do that one. Um, yeah. yeah, but that was, again, it's not, it's not a perfect, it, it, I don't know that there's any uh, comic book stories that are perfect. Um, I have a Batman one from the 70s. That's my all-time favorite story that I do think is closest to the perfect story. Um, and uh, maybe my all-time favorite arc is also Batman, uh, the old Manhunter uh, stuff with Paul Kirk from the uh, mid to late seventies, but otherwise, you know, there's there's always issues. My hat's off though to for tomorrow because they were at least they're trying to address these things. I mean, it it might not have worked, but at least they gave it a try. That, yeah. That's kind of my thought on that. No, and yeah. most of the story again, I think most of the story is a good one. There are a few th- there are a few duds. There's a few places where it fell flat.
0: The way I look at the story, I mean, look, A, the art is absolutely gorgeous. Um, oh, it's and, superb. And it was amazing to, you know, and if I had, like, my buddy Ken Marion on here, we would, we would, I'm sure we would go on and on about the, he's an artist, and I'm sure he, you know, would have a lot to say about that. Um, the art is gorgeous, and it was wonderful to see Jim Lee draw the character for an extended time. As far as the story, mm-hmm. I guess what I sort of keep coming back to, my overall assessment of it, I think that a lot of the ideas and the questions um, were, mm-hmm. were uh the, were the right choice you know the ideas that were presented and the questions that were asked were, were were the right ones and were really interesting it's in some of the execution and some of the answers where i found the story a bit lacking yeah. that's where that's where yeah. i kind of land on that but the one last thing i want to say about this whole like miracles uh issue it it kind of it calls to mind a, a question slash an issue i've always had with superman the movie and i'll get into this more when i do that full episode but yeah. you know jorel's warning to Kal-El is, you know, he's not to interfere in the course of human events, right? Or human history. And, you know, he tries to stop Superman when he's about to reverse time at the end of the movie. Yet, if he's not supposed to interfere in the course of human events, what is the purpose of putting him in a costume and sending him out there with all of this training? What, What was he supposed to, I mean, I've never been able to like fully wrap my head around that piece of it.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. It's um it's sort of like the Star Trek Prime directive. You know, it it seems to die the death of a thousand qualifications, um, you know, over the, the whole Star Trek canon. Um Yeah, because don't interfere with the course of human events. I think what they're trying to say is and and, and I don't buy it, but again it's part of the comic contrivance, is Superman should not deliberately affect the flow of history okay so don't overturn governments. don't yes don't turn <laughs> don't turn the earth back in time um which i will confess that is my least favorite uh part of that movie um but you know okay well saving people on a train saving people on an airliner uh, saving people from a bomb that's about to go off in downtown metropolis that's that's just a microcosm of human events, but you know, com, come on, we've all read comics, we've read novels, we've read, we've we've seen movies, even one with this name, you know, on the Butterfly Effect. Right. Uh, you know, it's the whole. If someone had, you know, it's it's all the contrivances. What if someone had gone back and assassinated infant Adolf Hitler? Um, okay. So it is interfering in the course of human events. Of course, he is, and um, that distinction between uh, how big a human event can you not interfere with, or how small a one can you interfere with, is kind of arbitrary. I, I agree, but,
0: but I do think your yeah. I do think your explanation is as satisfactory as as one could make to sort of reconcile what seems to be you know sort of conflicting yeah. advice in that movie. And I will say this: I mean, putting the butterfly effect aside though we really shouldn't but to put that aside for argument's (laughs) sake uh, you know as we talked about before right this is a world in superman the movie this is a world where he can come out and say hey i'm an alien from krypton and everyone's like great you know whereas his presence alone as the more recent movies have shown like just his very presence him floating in the sky is going to change the world
1: right absolutely
0: um there's so we've been going for about an hour and 15 minutes. Are you okay doing a little bit more? I, I'm, I'm fine. All right. I'm good. If you yeah. want to call this at any point, that's fine. But there are a couple other things I wanted to ask you about. There's sure. there's another scene with Superman and Father Daniel where uh, Superman, again, flies up, but they're by the, the river, and uh, Father yep. Daniel's like, oh, I thought you were going to walk on water. He doesn't explicitly say it, but he uh, alludes to that. And Superman says, like, I would never play right. on your faith like that. And yeah maybe I was reading too much into this, but he said, you know, your faith. And that got me thinking about Clark's faith, which is something that you rarely or I've rarely seen addressed in stories. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, this is a guy who, again, grew up as a human in the Midwest in a small town. Very likely he was at church every Sunday.
1: Right. Right. Um there was actually, and I cannot for the life of me remember where I read this or who wrote it, but it was probably about twenty years ago. I read an article in some magazine or journal, uh, speculating on the faith backgrounds of various superheroes in the DC and Marvel uh, universes, and a few we know. We all know that Ben Grimm is um, Jewish. You know, we all know that Matt Murdock is Catholic. We, we you know, there's a few that we know. Um, I can't think of anyone in the DC universe off the top of my head where that's been, uh, r- at least among the main characters, obvi- other than Wonder Woman, who uh, would have been part of the, the Greco-Roman pantheon of uh, mythology, I would guess. Um, but anyway, they, they were suggesting, and the, the article focused a lot on Superman and Batman. And uh, their theory was that Batman had to be either Catholic with a deep sense of guilt or he had to be a Presbyterian with this deep sense of this is my vocation, you know, (laughs) to do this. Although uh, there was an old Superman, I mean, sorry, an old Batman comic from back in the 60s or 70s that said that um, he was a descendant of uh, General Anthony Wayne who fought in the American Revolution. And uh, from my years in, I, my wife and I used to live in Philadelphia and I have been to Anthony Wayne's grave and it's an Episcopal church. So just so you know, but, but the joke was Superman um, growing up and, and of course, you know, comic book characters don't age. Um, but growing up in Kansas when he did, uh, he would probably have been a Methodist. <laughs> What's their theory? and uh um simon and schuster uh, i mean uh simon, um <laughs> Siegel. Uh, sorry seagull simon and seagull um they did not by having him grow up in kansas and actually i can't remember if kansas was part of their original story or if that comes a little bit later uh probably wasn't jewish not a lot of jewish farmers in kansas back in those days um anyway sorry i'm yeah. rambling no on no, no, all this. no but yes i do think it's important though um that he he that he talks about yeah daniel's faith and it raises the question of what superman's faith might be and, and i do think it it's i mean face that science fiction has done uh, a lot of work on uh religion you've got star trek where gene roddenberry's vision originally was that people were pretty much beyond this and it really took Ronald D. Moore's work on Deep Space Nine to kind of bring religion into the Star Trek universe. Uh, then on the other hand, the reimagined Battlestar Galactica, one of my favorite shows of the last 20 years, uh, it was all about religion, where you know the humans were polytheist and the Cylons were monotheist. And, but I don't know that anyone's ever done that with, with Superman. Uh, Would his discovering his heritage have introduced him to uh, some sort of, you know, whatever Kryptonian religion uh, of his parents? Uh, Would he have just adopted uh, the religious faith of his parents? Did did Ma and Pa Kent just decide—and see, I'm sorry, I'm old enough when they were Ma and Pa and not just Jonathan and Martha. Oh, I am too, Um, so
0: it's okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so did they just— you know they knew their kid was not your typical kid and so you know they just kept him home and they didn't you know maybe religion was not a, not a part of that household but i mean if you want to go back to like 40s kansas that would have been uh, that would have been kind of unusual i you know if i were i do have a friend who's a comic artist if i were enough of a comic writer that's what we could pair up and and work on is uh the religious background of Clark Kent yeah but it was a it, that was a nice touch and I did like the fact that Superman is saying in that in that section you know I would never do something that would parody your faith right I I, I did appreciate that I thought that was that was a nice little it's kind of a throwaway line but it, it was a nice line it was a nice touch
0: and that—that's a moment that did ring totally true. It's like I would—I would be mm-hmm. shocked if Superman walked across the water, like just to rub it in this guy's face. Like that would not feel in character at all. No. But you know, I bring this up because there, there—I can off the top of my head, I can only think of—and actually, your point though about the Kryptonian religion, because you know, there's like Rao and the you know the Kryptonian. So there is there is that yeah. piece of it. But yeah, there is some of that. Right. But specifically talking about a potential earthly religion, there are two instances that come to mind in Snyder's Man of Steel. After Clark saves the kids on the school bus from drowning, um, and then yes. Pete Ross's oh, mother yeah. comes over to the house, and she's basically saying like this was an act of God. And then Clark's out on the truck with, um, you know, in the backyard with Jonathan, and Clark yeah. says to Jonathan, well, like, why would God do this to me?" So there, right. were, so there was that,
1: and then yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. So
0: yeah, yeah so so again, Snyder got into that. Oh, and I want to come back to that when when Clark meets with the priest in in Man of Steel. I'll circle back to that in a second, but. Um, more specifically, I have another instance because this kind of plays into more of the, the the question that I that I have is in Superman for All Seasons. There is a twister that devastates Smallville, and Clark is able to help. He does help, and he saves as many as he can. And then he does have a, ch- a chat with the local priest during the aftermath of all of this. Oh yeah, and. Basically, the priest says, like, you know, there are like it was an act of God or something along those lines, and you know, some things are out of our control. And Clark says, Well, but what if there was someone who could do something? And I guess that's the, I guess that's sort of like the big picture question I have of what it mm-hmm. would be like if you were Clark Kent growing up, and especially talking about a post crisis Clark Kent who did not, he wasn't super baby, his powers emerged as he got older, right? So he right, grows up right. largely as a normal person, right? And then his powers start to kick in, but. You know, he grows up as a human learning, as we all do, and whether you call it, you know, a force of nature or a freak accident or an act of God, whatever it is, this idea that, well, there are some things that are beyond your control, some things that just kind of need to happen or you can't do anything about it, what, I I guess, like, how does it mess with your head if you then realize, you then become the person who could stop something, who... There might be an act of God, but you might be strong enough to, to push it back. Like, what do you do with it? I think that's such a fascinating piece of this.
1: Oh, I think it, it is. And, um, I mean, face it, it's the Spider-Man origin story. With, with great power comes great right. responsibility. It, it's just that with Superman, that gives a whole new meaning to the phrase with great power. And, um, you know, again, it ain't easy growing up to be Superman. Uh, because of those responsibilities, and and that's where uh, I haven't read for all seasons since it was new. I, I have I have those individual issues in a little box somewhere, um, and I can't remember. Was that before or after? When when did that come out?
0: That was like ninety eight.
1: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's before. I mean, it does make me. I had forgotten that whole dialogue. It does make me wonder if that fed into the. into for tomorrow um yeah if if that was an influence but yeah i do agree with you that is the question what if someone can do something about it and that's where that's where all the the personal the existential tension in these stories comes from and um you know what can i do what should i do uh, what is helpful, what will do more harm than good, and just wrestling with those things. And again, the, the books, the, you know, the, again, that's where the Superman continuity does not, you know, he, he, he's not all knowing in that sense. He, he is still, uh, you know, he, he is still a, um, he's, he's not a human being. But, but he is still, he, he is a man, to use a line that gets picked up in a lot of, you know, Superman uh, stories. He's a man, and he has, uh, hum- has human-slash-Kryptonian finitude. So he, can't, he doesn't know the answers to all of these questions, and he has to wrestle with them. Uh, which is, of course, why the modern continuities where he comes into his powers um, in adolescence, uh, are so much more interesting than when I was a kid and you had, you know, Super Baby and, you know, the Superboy stuff. Superboy I was interested in because I was a big fan of the Legion of Superheroes. But the standalone Superboy comics, I just, you know, never, never cared. So, Gotcha. Yeah, yeah
0: it, you know, it's just something that I was thinking about. Again, especially, you know, if he were brought up in – really any faith but you know if he was a Mm -hmm. methodist or any really but any faith and and sort of this idea of you know an act of god you know that certain things that especially when we're talking about you know something like a twister or other natural events like you know something like that where it's like yeah would your faith versus what you're able to do like you said like you have that tension like really butt up against each other it's like well you know is this supposed to happen should i not be doing this it's um yeah, really a fascinating piece. The, the thing I wanted to circle back to and, and ask you about, so in For Tomorrow, we have all of these scenes where Father Daniel, you know, is you know, counseling Superman, and similarly in Man of Steel, uh, before Clark mm-hmm. reveals himself to the world, you know, Zod has issued this challenge, he's going to start attacking the earth unless Kal-El reveals himself, and, you know, Clark goes into the, the church and just sits down, and he has this heart-to-heart with the priest. I, I mean, I guess, and again, this might sound like a silly question, I don't mean it to be, but I, I don't know, is there, as a, as a as a member of the clergy yourself, like, as you read those scenes, watch those scenes, do you think, like, oh, like, I agree with the advice they give, or I would have said this instead?
1: Um, actually, in both of those cases, I thought the advice was was pretty good. I, I really do, um, both in uh, Man of Steel and in For Tomorrow. Um that was the the part of the dialogue in for tomorrow that most rang true for me and it, particularly as it's established that father daniel is struggling with his own you know with his own his own demons and it, i mean his his own uh, his own grief and his own sense of loss you know we we meet the police officer that was obviously his love interest and before he took his vows and you know there's that sense of grief that he's dealing with as well uh, but yeah, I thought the priest in, uh, Man of Steel, um, you know, did a pretty good job. Um, again, it was that active listening and sort of, um, you know, what, sort of a, what do you think you need to do? Um, yeah. So I, again, I thought that was a pretty good description. I am, um, a, a pretty good depiction. I, um, knowing now that Henry Cavill's, um, that, Um, you know, he likes For Tomorrow, makes me, uh, I I would love to know if um, Father Daniel is sort of the inspiration for the priest in Man of Steel. don't know zach snyder don't know can't ask him that quite. i don't think i can call him up and ask him but i would be interested in that maybe somebody listening to this knows something about that too
0: yeah i don't know whether it was snyder or david goyer the screenwriter i mean yeah maybe i mean they might have mm-hmm. taken some inspiration
1: mm-hmm. from um you know yep. from for tomorrow but
0: yeah that was it was an interesting the one thing about that scene though that <laughs> that uh didn't quite work for me is the way clark just gets up and leaves <laughs> it felt oh. i don't know it felt like their conversation was i guess he got what he needed out of the conversation but it just sort of felt yeah. like all right yeah. i guess that's yeah. it
1: <laughs> yeah that that's a good point um <laughs> maybe that confirms that he grew up methodist and he doesn't he really didn't know how to talk to a priest <laughs> you know maybe that's it <laughs> uh, but
0: yeah you um, know, and that was you know that was yeah. at a at a point in his journey right where this was the big decision it's like is he going to reveal himself and i know that there were right. I know that one of the criticisms of Man of Steel was that by Zod showing up and calling him out, that it basically took, like, let all the air out of the balloon as far as Clark's journey and and this this tension of whether he's going to reveal himself. I don't agree with that, because he still, he could have hidden, and he chose not to. I mean, yes, yes. this did force his hand. It made it an issue before maybe it, it would have been otherwise, but I, I, there was still a choice to be made there. And I did really like the scene with um, you know, with the priest and the, and the questions that the priest mm-hmm. was asking him, like, you know, cause the whole thing is Clark doesn't know if he can trust, you know, the, the world or the U S government specifically. Um, right. and, you know, the priest asked him about Zod and, you know, and he says, well, my gut is like, he can't be trusted. And then it just comes down to this fate, you know, this leap of faith that he has to take.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's fair. I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I, and it does, not I agree with you, by the way, I don't think that criticism is valid, because first of all, it's already been established that while he might not have been costumed and, you know, he didn't know he could fly, which I thought was kind of a fascinating point, um, you know, and and frankly, one of my, you know, f- my, one of my favorite visual tricks, I don't know what you call it, visual motif In uh, Man of Steel is when he's, you know, pressing his fist into the ground and you see the pebbles start to float, which then, of course, gets repeated at the end of Batman v Superman. Uh, I I just that that to me, uh, when I first saw Batman v Superman, um, I actually didn't love the film. I did go back back um in the spring and watch the extended cut which i enjoyed better having seen the snyder cut i felt like i understood it better but that was my favorite thing and the whole <laughs> Superman was the very end as the pebbles start rising off the uh the casket um but it wasn't like clark was not a hero before zod called him out right. because that's how lois found found him uh she kept finding these stories of these great superhuman heroic actions So the idea that Clark is, in his heart, a hero, someone who really wants to serve and to help others, that was established very early on before Zod called him out. So yeah, I don't think that's a valid criticism. Yeah, I also don't think the criticism that Superman doesn't kill, uh, I don't know that that's a a valid criticism either, uh, because, I, I mean... If that was the only, if in Superman's Heart of Hearts, he believed that that was the only option in order to save potentially dozens, hundreds, thousands of lives, what do you do? I I, I didn't think, I, I thought that, that criticism did not ring true for me. The only thing, frankly, I didn't like about Man of Steel when I first saw it was just the complete, widespread destruction everywhere at the end and I, I kept thinking this is over the top this is gratuitous uh you know this is for the foreign audiences i mean I, I don't know what's going on with this i don't know why they're doing this uh but then of course batman versus superman deals with that that it becomes that widespread destruction becomes exactly what motivates uh bruce to uh, be so concerned about the uh, ramifications of having this alien being here on the planet. So so that, that it, that's where, you know, actually sort of watching those movies uh, retrospectively has helped me like all of them better. So,
0: I love hearing that. And I think that, because yeah. the same thing has been true for me, and I've talked about this. I mean, I had some mixed feelings about both Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. While I overall enjoyed them both the first time, there were some mixed feelings, and it was upon subsequent viewings and also watching them together in the context of this larger story that it's like, oh yeah, like you see. And you know, exactly you know, to your point about the destruction of Metropolis. I mean, I think it shows a more realistic scale mm-hmm. to something like this that you don't often right. see in these superhero movies. It's like, yeah, if there were these superpower beings throwing each other around, they would level a city, it would be catastrophic. And on top of that, yeah, that fuels Bruce's hate in the next movie and really carries things forward and you know, this was a Clark who, this was his first day on the job, so it's like, you know, right. in the future, yeah, he probably will note and he does, you know, to move things, you know, to a deserted area. He doesn't, you know, and he's just fighting to stay alive. And then the the killing of Zod, this has come up, man, and I can't tell you in how many episodes <laughs> this has come oh, up.
1: Yes, right. But
0: everyone has an opinion on it and it's always great to get it, and it, I I don't want to say pleasantly surprised. I mean, your opinion is your opinion. If you didn't like it, that's fine, but I, because I, I agree with you, and I think that I know some fans look at it as like, well, he could have flown Zod up in the sky. And it's like, I genuinely think the intent of this scene was to show you... And maybe they could have staged it different. I don't know, but I genuinely believe the intent of this scene was to show that Clark, to your point, truly didn't think he had another option. Even if yes. he ha- even if he could have flown Zod up into the sky, the first chance Zod had, he would have come back down, and he would have gone after that family or a different family. That was the point yes, of this. Exactly. Like that's what Zod had conveyed. Like there was no stopping him. Other th- like he forced Clark's hand
1: exactly and it's the whole i mean because since the emotional theme of this entire movie is just how difficult it is to live in this world with these powers and that sense of responsibility that's really the capstone of that it's not like uh you know uh, superman at the end of uh, man of steel is not he's not like an old caricature of the 70s and 80s revenge movie he's not like firing at the heat vision to say, go ahead, make my day. You, you can. It, I, I think it comes across very clearly that yes, he he had to kill Zod because he felt that that was the only choice he could he had, and it was a horrible choice. He, uh, it, it, he, he yeah. felt terrible about it. It was clear, and so uh, so that criticism. Um, especially as I've thought about it and watched the movies kind of in reverse order again, um, that changes things
0: These movies in that universe.
1: Well. I still haven't watched Aquaman. I, I need to go back and do that, but uh, aqua- this is Aquaman. not the Aquaman uh, podcast. So. <laughs>
0: Aquaman yeah. is fun, but the Snyder movies, I do think they age well. And I do think that they really do benefit from multiple viewings. And the, you know, when I put out these episodes where we talk about this stuff, what I hear more than anything else thankful and I, this is great is people saying like oh like whether it was listening to us or maybe listening to us like motivated them to watch it again like oh like i kind yeah. of see it in a little different way I, you know i think that's wonderful i don't want to keep you much longer The one of the last things i just wanted to bring up was um you know we were talking about these parallels between you know uh superman and, and jesus i i mean i guess you know one question i had is you know are there any other parallels that we we don't often clock that you might see because the one other thing that I thought of is, and again I know I'm, I not I'm not this isn't you know the, the first time anyone's noticed this but, um, you know in terms of you know both Superman and Clark and Jesus, um, you know working with their hands you know, the learning the trade Mm -hmm. of their fathers. And what I I really do love about the the journey of Clark Kent is that, yes, he has this career as a reporter. And that's a big piece of him. And I love that. I love the journalism Mm -hmm. aspect of the character. But, you know, he grows up farming. And in a lot of the stories, you know, kind of getting us closer to the end of his journey, there's often a return to working with his hands. And whatever happened to the man of Mm -hmm. tomorrow, he lives this powerless life as a mechanic um, on the mm-hmm. new Superman and Lois TV show, he's not at the end of his journey, but he's returned to the farm to kind of center himself and, and reconnect right. with his family in Zack Snyder's justice league after he's brought back to life. And I just talked about this in another episode, but like one of the things that brings him back emotionally is standing out there in the fields that he worked with his yes. father. Um, so I, yes. I love, I really love that aspect of this.
1: Oh, I think I, I t- now I, here's where I have to confess and, I'm the one who, you know, teaches the Bible for a living. I had never thought about that connection between Joseph and Jesus and Jonathan and Clark. That That is, I think that's actually very insightful. So my hat's off to you or anybody else who who's come up with that. But yes, there. I, I think that's certainly a theme. Well, it's a theme in the gospels because Jesus does, Continually find himself back in Nazareth, the city that he grew up in, where he is often rejected. Um, you know, can can uh, you know? He he makes the line about no prophet is without honor, except in his own hometown and among his own kin. Jesus says at one point. Back about uh, fifteen years ago, I was approached by a church in my hometown, and uh, about. Uh, about, you know, what I consider moving there and leading that church. And uh, I, I, I joked with Anne. that's the only verse in the entire New Testament I could think of when I was asked, <laughs> is no prophet is without honor except in his own hometown. Um, I think that's a very important parallel. Uh, and it gets back to what, to what I alluded to a while ago, and this is, this is mentioned in... Um, yeah, it's when there's this exchange between Superman and Batman in For Tomorrow and where uh, Batman's getting his attention. He calls him Clark and and uh, Clark says, my name is Kal-El. But then he says, Batman. And of course, Batman's response is, my name is Bruce. And he goes, no, you know, you're Batman. Bruce is the mask. And of course, more people than we could count have pointed that out. That... Um, but in his heart of hearts, we're, we're, in, we're truly that that's that's right for Batman, at least in the Dark Knight, you know, Batman and the darker versions of Batman, not the 60s one that I grew up with. But but Bruce is the mask. And um, the Christopher Nolan films brought that out very well, you know, that he is Batman. But that's not true of Superman. Superman is the costume. And this guy is Clark. He's kal and he's Clark that's how he sees himself and uh, I think there's a powerful storyline and I've had a few people mention this um, I have a number of friends who are who were adopted and uh, they find deep resonance in the Superman stories that um, uh, Jonathan and Martha are are his parents just as much and or if not more so than Jor-El and Laura uh, and there, and that that he keeps that he worked alongside his father, which Man of Steel draws that out very, very well, and that he keeps coming to the land. And now, maybe that's another motif that could be picked up from the Jewish heritage of the whole idea of there's a homecoming, that there's a there's a, there's a holy land, as it were, uh, for for Clark that he comes to. And I don't think I will say I don't think anyone's ever. Touch that as well as Snyder did. That that Clark doesn't even quite know who he is when he's been uh, brought back to life, and uh, but somehow he instinctively ends up in that field in Kansas. Uh, that's his. That's his true home. That's that's his heart's true home. Uh, I think that's a very very powerful imagery, and. Um, and again, not to wax too philosophical or theological, but it picks up. There's a, a recurring theme in both Judaism, particularly in certain of the Psalms, of this return to home, this return to, to where we truly belong. And in the Christian spiritual tradition, particularly in the more contemplative and mystical sides of that, there's been this huge emphasis on how uh, God is the heart's true home, and uh, that, and this, and so the idea of of a homecoming is pretty important in the, the Christian theological tradition. But I do think so. There's a there's yet another echo that um, uh, that farm outside Smallville, Kansas, is is home, and. Uh, That's his true identity right there. That's who he really is. He's not really Clark Kent. That's an adopted name given to him on an adopted planet, but that's who he is. Where Bruce Wayne is his real name, but um, who he he becomes post-trauma is really this other figure. I I agree.
0: Yeah. And well, and in terms of another echo, I mean, because I've, and I've talked about this many, many times and it'll keep coming up because it, I mean, this is really getting to the bones of the character here where, you know, again, as far as another echo, the three in one, you know, where I, I really look at this Trinity within the character of Superman, where I, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think Superman is who he really is. That's a costume he puts on. He becomes a symbol. Um, I don't believe that Clark Kent is only a disguise, but I do believe that the Clark Kent reporter, there is obviously an element of disguise and he has to. Of
1: course, there's an element of that.
0: There's an element of disguise, but it's like Clark on, or Cal, but Clark on the farm. That's really. That's. that's yes. who he is so so i agree with that and then also again you do get the you know <laughs> the three in one so we have another uh you know another christian echo there <laughs> uh,
1: well yeah there's superman and there's, Cal, and there's there's clark i think the working with his hands is an important bit too of the character because that's what you know superman's uh his good deeds his his rescuing actions are primarily physical where um, Batman, who grew up in more of an intellectual family, and his father was a physician, there's all of this, uh, Batman works with his mind. And that's not just his sort of strategic leadership in Justice League and those kinds of things, not just in the movie, but in, in the comics. Because, you know, what's this guy doing among these super-powered beings? Well, you know, they depict him as kind of the brains of the operation. And uh, and he is a detective, which... Um, Apparently, the next cinematic incarnation of Batman is really planning to play up the detective aspects, which I would welcome that. So um,
0: I'm very excited for that aspect to really yeah. get 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 its due as well. Um, I really did like the scene between Superman and Batman in for tomorrow. My favorite part was when Batman throws a punch. And Superman uses his super speed to dodge it. And he's like, next time I'm not going to do that. And you're going to end up with every hand, every bone in your hand broken, right. uh, which, you know, I I, I, like, I like when Clark gets a little tough. And I felt like that was, that was justified uh, in, in that scene. Is, is there anything else about For Tomorrow uh, that we, we didn't talk about that you wanted to?
1: Well, I will say, if, if, if anybody watching or listening to this, if you're not familiar with it or you want to go back and get it... Uh, There is uh, a few pages at the end of the uh, all-in-one version of the graphic novel where there's conversations with Jim Lee and where he is describing his approach to the art. And he goes into quite a bit of detail about how to, he wanted to incorporate some elements from uh, Golden Age and Silver Age Superman. He particularly, try to incorporate that uh kryptonite no more cover from the from the 70s uh, but he he goes in and not being an artist i i didn't follow it as much as the artists who are um listening to this like i said i have a i have a close friend who's a comic artist in his early 30s very talented named uh zach brunner he's been uh, on the uh I think his most recent comic work was the series Plague, and I'm sorry that I cannot remember the publisher right now. But anyway, uh, But um, Jim Lee talks about trying to make a darker version of Superman and incorporating more shadow uh, into the character and how that's a contrast with these very, very bright colors. Uh, he, He talked about how he didn't want to mute the colors. He wanted the colors to be full and bright, but in contrast with how he uses shadow and darkness. And particularly, he goes into a lot of detail about how uh, how important Superman's cape is to how he approaches the art, which I think is also true of his work with Batman and Hush, but um, which again, I, I picked up Hush as a graphic novel years ago. I didn't read it when it first came out, but I picked it up largely on the basis of the cover art alone. Sometimes you almost can judge a book by its cover. So uh, anyway. <laughs> But uh, that's worth getting, it's worth reading.
0: Yeah, I uh, you know I really appreciate uh, you know all all the insight you shared. I really enjoyed this conversation. I thought this was very interesting. I, I hope I hope the audience agreed. It's funny because the previous yeah. episode of this podcast was about the morality and ethical duty of Superman, and we we talked about again, should Superman disarm the world of nuclear weapons? Was it right to kill Zod? We touched on all of that. And, you yeah. know, and then we have this episode. So you know, I know these these two together, you know, are a little bit more. F- philosophical and thoughtful but you know I guess it's stuff that I've had kicking kicking around in my head about the character and I really think they're topics worth exploring I think it really highlights the richness of the character and how much there really is there to mine
1: oh absolutely and I I I think this is where um I'm assuming most of the people are going to watch or listen to this podcast know the comics world Pretty well, most of them, you know, better than me. I have fairly pedestrian taste in comics. I mostly just read DC and Marvel stuff, you know. Um, I'm not as, I, I don't read some of the, the, a lot of the independent publishers. But um, I, since I mentioned earlier my wife's comment about she didn't know I was into this comics stuff when she uh, first met me. And uh, I, I will have to say, several years ago, uh, a mutual friend of ours said something to Ann about, um, Ann is my wife, and said, um, I-, I cannot believe that your husband is knows all this stuff about comic books and is so into comic books. Uh, said he- he's really smart and he knows all this theology. I-, I just can't believe he's into comic books. And to her credit, uh, my wife looked at him and said, do you know anybody else who reads comic books? My experience is this is some of the smartest people you will ever hang out with. And uh, I was not in the room. I heard this third hand, uh, second hand. So I I was delighted. And that's true. And so people who, um, you know, my my non-comic friends out there don't know what they're missing. So all the people who have been watching these Snyder films and watching the Marvel films, which are uneven, I think, you know, but I enjoy them. Um, and realizing, wow, there's a lot of profundity that's, you know, profound questions are being asked here. Difficult things are being wrestled with. Well, yes, of course they are. And even back in uh, when, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, it, it, my earliest childhood memory, I think I've told you this before, I was hearing my uncle on Christmas Eve of 1965, when I was four and a half, say to my dad, uh, his his brother-in-law, uh, hey, did you know they're doing a Batman TV show? I said, who's Batman? And he went into his room and gave me a stack of comic books, and he created a monster. But I can also remember being nine years old when uh, the new run on Green Lantern and Green Arrow came out.
0: Sure, The Hard Traveling uh, Heroes?
1: Oh, yes. And that was a watershed moment. I I, I bought that book at the local drugstore. I went home and read it was very upset because i was nine years old and i liked green lantern you know fighting space aliens and things like this and then read it again and then read it again (laughs) and honestly um became one of the frankly probably one of the most important books i read in that period in my life Um, and and it's when i realized wow these these comics can ask some good questions ever since the african-american guy asks uh, Hal Jordan you know you you work for the purple skins and you've done considerable for the orange skins but there's one skins you've never worked with uh, the black skins and I'm asking you how come Mr. Green Lantern well that was a moment for me when I realized wow comics can be powerful
0: very very well said and you know especially when we're talking about a character like Superman but you know Green Lantern's been around for decades as well, but you know, with Superman, eighty yeah. plus years, you know, a character that's oh, been around yeah. that long, there must be something there, and you've had all of these creators across media, uh, you know, working on it and and you know, all infusing it with uh, you know all of these different aspects, and so there's there's a tremendous amount to you know to to explore. Um, real real quick, final question because I, I meant to ask you this: Have you ever have you ever used comics in either Counseling someone or a sermon? Like, has it ever, have you ever had that sort of crossover between your your, your job and your hobby?
1: A uh, sermon? Absolutely. I'm sure I have done that. Um, in counseling, I, I don't know. It was not, it wasn't like a classic counseling session, but I was within, I think it was during COVID in a uh, phone conversation with a parishioner. Uh, we got into a discussion of, uh, of comics, and uh, I recommended that he read, again, it's my favorite Batman story from, like, 1974. It was called Night of the Stalker. If you don't know the story, uh, can't even remember. Jim, uh, Jim Aparo maybe did the art. I can't remember now. But um, Batman does not have a single word of dialogue in the story. And uh, so I remember telling him about that about that book and going, you 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 should read this. Uh, but yes, I will. Uh, I, I one of my oldest daughter's uh, friends. This is the mother of my new grandchild. Um, once uh, one of her friends once said, um, "Can you do a sermon without quoting?" Tolkien or C.S. Lewis or Harry Potter or a comic book. And and I'm like, well, I'm sure I can, but that would be boring. And the fact of the matter is now I don't have to explain so much because thanks to the popularity of a lot of these movies, um, you know, more people know the story. (laughs) <laughs> so so I I think in the past, uh, especially when I was in campus ministry, I could use this kind of stuff uh, if I was teaching a Bible study or having some sort of roundtable discussion with a few other students who, um, who bought comic books at uh, Gallup's Pawn Gun and Comic Shop, I kid you not, in Statesboro, Georgia, great comic shop. And uh, there were a few other students I worked with when I was their campus minister who were into comics, and we could talk about it. But it's not like I could say, with great power comes great responsibility, and anybody would know what that meant until Toby McGuire came along. So,
0: Yep, it's true. The adaptations have definitely gone a long way towards <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> you know, bringing these characters to, to the masses. Uh, Pastor no, Craig, right. thank you very, very much uh, for being part of this episode. I really appreciate it. This was great.
1: Well, thank you, Anthony. This has been a delightful way to spend a couple hours. I appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again, uh, Pastor Craig. And I want to thank our listeners and viewers for checking out this episode. Remember that on the Patreon companion show in one week, we'll have a discussion of The Suicide Squad, directed by James Gunn. Uh, And then two weeks from now, on Digging for Kryptonite, it's the beginning of our eight-part weekly event, Crisis Till Death. Do not miss it. And until then, remember, it's about what you do about action. Digging for Kryptonite is a Flat Squirrel production, art by Greg Shegel, music by Basic Printer. Join the conversation by becoming part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network Facebook group. Follow Digging for Kryptonite on Instagram and Twitter, and visit flatsquirrelproductions.com to explore more of my film and podcast projects.